Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 2, verses 21 through 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word that's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we pray now that through your spirit, you would open our eyes and our hearts that, and give us a deep understanding and application that we would be truly doers, not just hearers of your word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, in 1492 is one of the dates of history that is at least forever etched in the majority of many Americans. Or at least if you are of my generation, it's etched in my memory. Sixty or so days into Columbus's maiden voyage to what he had hoped was India, his crew was near mutiny. For over two months, they had been sailing with no sight of land, the crew had had enough. They had little, very little provisions left, and they were in tremendous fear. On top of that, they were working under some extremely difficult situations. Columbus had finally agreed to the demands of his sailors that if no land was sighted, they would return to Spain at the end of three full days. Hope hung by a thread, but anticipation was high as many signs seemed to point to land being near. And yet at the end of the third day, land had not been sighted. 
In a pulse-pounding night between October 11th and 12th, 1492, Rodrigo de Triana, the watchman and lookout on the Pinta, cried out at 2 a.m., land, land. With the coming of dawn, the eastern shores of the Bahamas were revealed. Just as Triana's eyes were strained toward the horizon, so too did Simeon and Anna, in our story, yearn for a different kind of revelation. Though their watchtower was in a ship's mast, their gaze was ever fixed on the promised Messiah. Simeon, blessed with a whisper from the Holy Spirit, clung to the unwavering hope that his eyes would behold Christ before death befell him. His days were a vigil, a patient waiting on the Lord, longing for the day that the light would shine in the darkness. While Anna, a godly, devout woman, had gone to the temple daily for decades upon decades, waiting for the promised Messiah. Simeon and Anna were part of this long history of the faithful remnant of Israel waiting for God's anointed. This section of Luke we just read can be broken really into three parts. And it starts with giving us a picture of the first family. And this, this picture of this first family of Joseph and Mary is that they're carrying out the requirements of the law while also introducing us to a very short introduction to Simeon and Anna. These th three stories seem almost a minor subplot within the larger narrative of Jesus. But they are here to connect Jesus to the larger story running throughout the Old Testament. That is, God's faithful remnant people from Adam onward have patiently waited and watched for the deliverer of Israel. And this whole section really is answering this question of who is the Messiah? Who is this Jesus? Who is the baby born in Bethlehem? Today I want to look at two of these three sections and see how they speak to us about God's Messiah, about the anointed of God. Now you may have noticed in the reading today from Luke that Luke uses three or uses this phrase, the law of the Lord, or something similar to it, five times in verses 21 through 40. Three of those times are in the first four verses. Now, this repetition of the phrase means that Luke wants us to understand Jesus and his parents in regards to the law. To understand what's happening in verses 21 through 24, you really need to have some Old Testament context because it's steeped in the Old Testament. This section begins with the circumcision of Jesus on the eighth day as required by the law. And we are told that, that the angel Gabriel, that the parents of Jesus gave Jesus his name, uh, that the angel had introduced to him back in chapter 1. Jesus was born under the law, and the first step for him was circumcision. He had to be circumcised according to the custom given to Abraham, which actually preceded the law of Moses. In Genesis 17, God commanded that Abraham and all his descendants be circumcised on the eighth day. And if they were not circumcised, they were to be cut off from the people of God. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant applied to male infants to mark them as part of the covenant family of God. On top of that, Mary and Joseph fulfilled two other customs or rites on their visit to the temple. 40 days after Christmas, right? 40 days after Christmas, they're bringing 
this 40-day-old baby to the temple to perform these rites and these customs. The first custom that was fulfilled was the consecration of the firstborn son. Now, this practice dates to the time of the Exodus, when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. You remember this. God sent Moses to deliver the people from the Egyptians. Moses, as God's representative, in a sense, entered into a duel with Pharaoh that eventually led to God sending plagues on the Egyptians for their hard-heartedness. The last plague, and by far the worst, was the death that was that death fell on the firstborn of every living thing in Egypt. Every firstborn son or daughter, every firstborn living animal, the plague fell on them and brought death. But the Israelites, you'll remember, were spared from this plague by covering their doorposts, the lentil and their doorposts, in the blood of a lamb. In essence, the blood of this lamb was shed for the firstborn. So death never entered into the home of a, an Israelite or to a Jewish family. However, from then on, every firstborn male of Israel, whether person or animal, were to be consecrated to God according to Exodus 13. And that's what Jesus' parents are doing. They're bringing Jesus to the temple to fulfill this part of the law. That was a requirement for them. The other custom that Luke mentions here is the rite of purification after childbirth. Leviticus 12 lays down certain instructions that a woman is to do after she gave birth. There in Leviticus 12, verse 6, it says, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, that is the temple, a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. So keeping with the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons for this offering of purification. Now look, these first four verses are steeped in Old Testament law, and they're there to show us that Joseph and Mary were faithful Jewish people. They were a faithful couple. They kept and obeyed the law, that the requirements of the law that had been laid out for them. And Luke is showing us that very clearly. And not only that, but Luke is showing us that Jesus, even as an infant, because of his faithful parents, were, was, were, was Jesus as an infant, because of his faithful parents, obeyed the law perfectly. That is, he was circumcised. The, the sacrifices his family were, were bringing to the temple were in fulfillment of the law. And here's the thing, Jesus, even as a child, kept the law perfectly. He alone fulfilled God, the totality of God's law. We hear that here, and we see that throughout the New Testament. The New Testament writers go to great detail to make sure that we understand that Jesus fulfilled all aspects, every aspect of the Mosaic law. That is, every aspect of that law, whether the Mosaic whether the sacrificial laws were kept perfectly by Jesus. Look, no other human being who's ever lived, whether that's Moses or David or Abraham, has ever kept the law perfectly. We haven't kept the law perfectly. Only Jesus has. Jesus' meticulous observance of the Mosaic law, starting from a young age, granted him both the right to instruct Israel as a rightful teacher, and even more significantly, laid the foundation for our salvation through his act of obedience. That is, keeping, his keeping the law perfectly for you and me. What we can't do, 
Jesus did for us. This is essential to our salvation. Jesus lived under the law as a human being, and he kept that law perfectly. And all who are united to him by faith now are clothed in his perfect righteousness while he takes our sin. Well, he bears our sin. He becomes the, the sin bearer for you and me. He gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin. Not to be in Christ means that you are still under the curse of the law and obligated to keep the whole law. Not some of it, but all of it. Breaking just one command brings us under the judgment of the law. And the judgment of the law brings death, brings eternal separation from our holy God. This is why we need Christ and why the New Testament again so often mentions the law and Jesus keeping it. Jesus has kept every aspect of that law for you and me and that should, for you and I, that should bring eternal praises to our lips for the goodness of our Father to us through His Son, through Jesus for us. The second thing I want us to see is found in Simeon's song of praise. He has been waiting a long time for the Messiah, and he rejoices at the sight of Jesus. Not only does he rejoice, but he makes this amazing statement. Simeon took Jesus. Now, can you imagine his parents? I don't, they don't know who Simeon is, but the text seems to say that Simeon sees Jesus. He reaches out and he grabs his 40-day-old 40 40 baby from his parents. And it seems like his parents said, oh, here you go. Now, I'm, I'm sure Mary and Joseph, by this time, were used to hearing and seeing some strange things. But having this old man reach out and grab their child and say what he did must have taken the cake for them. Look, Simeon grabs Jesus and he says, in his arms, and he prays God, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes, my eyes have seen your salvation. In this little baby, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, I can't imagine that Simeon thought that the Lord's Messiah would be shown to him as an infant. But he knew the scriptures well enough, and he understood that the Messiah would come from the people of Israel, from the line of Israel. And as he's holding this infant in his arm, he rejoices because he's gazing at the one that we have waited for, that he has awaited for since Adam. The prophets foretold of Jesus' coming, of the Messiah's coming. Genesis 3 speaks of his arrival. Abraham anticipated him in Genesis 12. And this seed of Abraham, this is the seed of Abraham, Paul tells us. This is the Messiah who was foreseen by Isaiah, by the prophets Isaiah, by Jeremiah, by Daniel, in the Psalms, by David. So, but how can Simeon say he has seen salvation while looking at a 40-day-old baby? Jesus hasn't done anything yet. There have been no healings, no miracles. Jesus has done nothing. He hasn't died. He hasn't been raised. He hasn't ascended. He's done absolutely nothing, and yet Simeon declares that in Jesus is salvation for you and me. Now, I believe God is revealing to us through Simeon's words that the joy of salvation is not just located in the works of Jesus, that is in his healings and his miracles, or even in his teaching and preaching of Jesus, as important as those things are. The very fact that God would become human is our salvation. In the incarnation, the God of the universe became a human being to bring salvation to us. This union of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus is what saves us. 
Yes, Jesus still had to live a perfect life. He still had to die on the cross and do everything else he did. But his undivided union in the incarnation brings us our long-awaited salvation. And that's what Simeon is proclaiming here in these words when he sees Jesus. And look, Simeon doesn't stop there, does he? He continues because the Messiah is not just for the Jews. Did you notice that in the text we read? Look at verse 31. He says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for, the a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is a quote or an allusion of a couple quotes run together from Isaiah. In Isaiah 49.6, it says this. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant. This is speaking about the Messiah, the suffering servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the fortunes of Israel. But I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation, my reach, may reach to the ends of the earth. When Luke what Luke conveys is that Simeon understood from the start that Jesus wouldn't solely be the savior of Israel but the Savior of the entire world. Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the exclusive plan of salvation, the sole means by which one comes to God, whether Gentile or Jew. We are here today. You're in this church today. If you are a follower of Christ, you're here today because of this promise, which goes back to the Old Testament, coming to its fulfillment in the New Testament through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Another point Simeon brings up is found in verses 34 and 35, and it's directed specifically at Mary. He says there, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, of course, Simeon has here in mind that this, end, this last sentence of Mary's heart being pierced, in the sense of her son being raised up on the cross for our sins. But there's more to it than just that. That the many hearts will be revealed, he says. When, what Simeon means is that Jesus holds immense significance, not just for Israel, but for you and me as well. For the Gentiles, for the nations. You know, how you react to Jesus will determine your fate, both in the present and for all eternity. He is the pivotal person in all of history. And rejecting him will lead to our demise. While embracing him, trusting him, will result in present and eternal blessing for all those in Christ. Church, we can't be apathetic about Jesus. Legan Duncan, a pastor, says it like this. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he alone must be exalted. He is the Savior, and you can't be indifferent about him. You either rise with Jesus or you fall before him. There is no other option for you or me. There's no better time than the end of this year and the beginning of a new year to take and make your stand with Jesus. Maybe you've been out there for the past six months or longer and you've been here or you've been thinking, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And you're like Simeon and Anna and you've been looking from a distance at who he is. And you've been waiting. And here's the time. We're in this period of transition between the old and the new year. And I would encourage you, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, if you haven't kneeled before the Savior of the world, then this is the day for you to do that. Come and kneel before Christ and receive 
the promised, his promised salvation, his promised salvation for you. He's died for you. He promises forgiveness and he promises new life. So come to Jesus as your savior. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, grant that we would be, that we by faith would receive the Jesus of this gospel that we've heard and know. Show us and teach us that he is all that we need. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for our Savior who has loved us and given himself for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.